This is Shack Talk, presented by Eskimo Ice Fishing Gear and hosted by Scotty Brewer and Kyle Agri. Turn up your speakers, grab your gear, and hit the ice with us as we talk ice fishing. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to Shack Talk, Season 3, Episode 2, Segment 1. Scott Brewer, Kyle Agri of Brewer Agri Outdoors. Come on in, grab a bucket, have a seat, and we are talking ice fishing. Brought to you by Eskimo Ice Fishing Gear. You know, Kyle, it's that time. It's that time where we are uh, grabbing a bucket and we're sitting out on the lake and we are talking ice fishing while we are ice fishing. It's been a long time in coming and it is super awesome to be out here on the lake doing some fishing. We've done so much talking about it throughout November, throughout early December. We've been out at ice shows talking to so many different anglers. Everybody is super, super excited about this year. It is nice that we can now finally get out on the ice ourselves. You're, you are right about that, Scott, and uh, there's nothing more exciting than that first time we set foot on the ice after waiting all year. We're back at it. We're out on the ice, and uh, you know, there's some things we we need to think about. Last episode, we talked about ice safety, and that is certainly important. But uh, you know, there's there's just something about getting out there, getting a hole drilled, and and as you said, sitting down on a bucket and a seat in your portable shack, whatever it might be, and and just really getting into it again for another season. Yeah, and you know, we that first time out, you your gear's not ready yet, you know, and, and you, you can plan all you want, but it's still not the same until game day, until you get out there. And what do you, I, I have tied and retied <laughs> and strung and organized my tackle about 17 times here in the last month, Scott. Oh yeah, I, I hear you. You're not the only one. So let, let's talk a little bit about goals. We each have different goals. When we go out on that first outing of the year, first time out and you got a portable or you're just walking out or whatever it is what is some of the goals to make it to say when you're done this was a successful first outing you know scott i think you and i probably have a lot of the same things in terms of overlap on what those goals are but uh, in my mind typically that first ice trip maybe the first couple of first ice trips you know it's it's somewhere local somewhere that's that's not too far from home because i know we've got some big trips planned throughout the ice season but this is my opportunity to get the equipment out to get the rods and reels wet get them get them working again and and really kind of work the kinks out so that i don't have those problems later on in the season so it's kind of like a preseason game is is to go out and and kind of work through some of the bugs maybe get out some of that new equipment that, that we had just got or that we bought at one of the shows or something and and learn that new equipment, figure it out how, how it works right. Yeah, I would, I, that's a great analogy, Scott, but there's one thing that's not true. As as a starter on that team, I'm not willing to go sit on the bench after the first series of plays because <laughs> I'm going to stick it out the day, uh, for all the time I have on the ice until the bitter end and uh, and then, you know, begrudgingly have to go home. Well, yeah, or you know, part of that is because you have all that new equipment. You got a you got a whole day of testing all your new equipment every year. I mean, it's terrible. It's such a crappy job we have. You know, then we have all our old equipment. We got to get all that stuff out, stuff that we haven't used for a while. Whether it's you know, no matter how many times you've charged your Vexilar, you don't know until you have that thing out on the lake. You might have a 
six-year-old Vexilar, and you know those batteries seem to last forever. One of these times, those batteries isn't going to last forever. You right. can charge it, and you think it's great and all that, but you don't know until that thing is sitting out on the ice, getting cold, running for eight hours before you realize, yes, I have confidence in this Vexilar. I can go up to the Lake of the Woods for a day, and I know it's going to run all day. You know, so not only are we testing old equipment, but we're testing new stuff too. You know, and Scott, you and I had a conversation at uh, at a recent ice show with Chip Lear, and and we were talking about first ice. We were talking about what that means to be out there on those first couple of trips of the season. And and one of the things he said is he doesn't really care what he catches; he just wants to put a bend in the rod. Yeah, that is so true. Yeah, it is so true. We Whatever it is, fish. it doesn't matter. Yeah, you, we just want to catch fish. And you know, in early season, that it's not necessarily all that difficult sure you got to find them and, and all that but uh you get a better chance of that early season than any other time of the year you know the weeds are still kind of green there's usually fish around the weed lines and you can generally find fish pretty much throughout the day depending on and that is a great way to actually go out there doing it because if you're if you're out saying okay i'm gonna go catch walleyes you know you might limit yourself to a certain time of day right and this and that if you just want to go out and catch fish go out put a bend in your rod test your equipment test everything that you brought out there that's a great way to do it and you can do it all day long yeah you're you're exactly right make the most of those trips um and I almost uh, kind of equate it to some of the trips later in the season where I'll be gone for a longer period of time. Yeah. These trips I'd rather take and go on a shorter duration for the trip, but go more frequently. Yep. You know, and, and another thing that quite often happens on these earlier trips is it's a good way to test your outerwear because a lot of times you don't have all the gear that you're going to be taking out on the bigger trips later. You don't have your big fish house with the heaters and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so you might be sitting out on a bucket, out on the ice, and and it's a great test for that outerwear because we we all know all of our ice anglers that fish outside how important it is to have the right outerwear, have the right base layers, and have all that so you can stay comfortable all day. And this first outing is a great way to test it. You know, Scott, something that's really intriguing to me is uh, you look at uh, you look at all the outerwear out there and there's some really, really great stuff available to ice anglers today. And, and it makes a huge difference when you talk about the performance of those those garments. But uh, one thing that, that we worked at a show not too long ago that uh, really caught my eye was uh, was the electric heated inner layer pieces. Um, what a neat, and, and I was also at a, at a um, trade show for my, my, my other job, my full-time job. And that was uh, where where they had safety professionals in in a, a conference, and and one of the uh, vendors that had a display there had um, some of these same electrical heated inner layers that uh, they would sell to to people who have to work outside uh, yep. for their occupation. Really, really neat technology, and and I think we're going to see more of that creeping into uh, the outdoors. Yes, you know technology has really creeped into all the outdoors including ice fishing and this is just another way but you talk about those heated the heated apparel items 
Um, it's really cool how they all work. If you ever get a chance to look at it, you can look it up online. I don't remember exactly what the name of the company was. Do you happen to know it offhand? That was Mobile Warming, and that's yes. just one of yes. them. There are a number, uh, a number of different uh, organ, you know, uh, businesses or, or manufacturers that make those. But but it all hooks up to your phone through Bluetooth, where you can see the body temperatures and the control the temperatures of this stuff that you're wearing as a base layer or as an immediate or a middle layer. And you can see all that off your phone, but that's where that technology kind of piece kind of plays in. And it's really cool. But the important thing is make sure you're comfortable on the lake. Make sure your feet don't get cold. Make sure your hands don't get cold. Try whatever you need to do to make sure you're comfortable because you will go out there earlier. You will stay out there later. Your mind will be in the game the whole time that you're out there, and you will catch fish. Clothes, having the right clothes, will put more fish in the bucket. 100% 100% agree, Scott. I couldn't agree more. All right. Uh, so we want to stick around because we're going to have some great shack talk. We're going to have on our tip and tactic segment, Mr. Chris Gone. He's going to chat about ice fishing electronics. We want to talk about new technology. We're going to talk new and old technology in ice fishing electronics. Location destination segment, Walleye Whale Papin Foods. He's going to be talking about Upper Red Lake. If you're an ice angler, uh, I don't care what region you're in, you have heard about Upper Red Lake um, from the crappie boom to now the walleye fishing this time of year, early season. Upper Red Lake is the place to be. So we'll chat with Will a little bit about that. So uh, stick around and we will be right back with more Shack Talk. Introducing an entirely new class of ice augers, the gas-powered F1 and propane-powered P1 rocket augers from Eskimo. These ultra-lightweight augers run fast, spin fast, and cut fast, thanks to their performance-tuned engines, high-speed transmissions, and all-new cast bottoms. All Eskimo power augers feature an industry-leading five-year warranty. Get assurance. Get reliability. Get Eskimo. Learn more at GetEskimo.com. Hey everybody, welcome back to Shack Talk, Season 3, Episode 2, Segment 2. This is our this is going to be our segment on tips and tactics. Uh, Scotty Brewer and Kyle Agri of Brewer Agri Outdoors. And we're going to chat with us on this segment, Mr. Chris Gone. Chris is a gentleman that we've run into on some of our travels up north of the border. He is a, a Canadian guide, a Canadian tournament angler. Um, he's very, very knowledgeable on all things fishing, as you can imagine, from a full-time guide and tournament angler. Uh, but what we want to chat about is electronics are probably one of the most important things, important tools that an ice angler has these days. And there are so many different options out there, different brands, different styles, and, you know, it can get kind of confusing some days if you if you head into your sporting goods store, if you're looking online to try and figure out what it is you're going to want, or if you want to upgrade your, your current stuff, what do you upgrade to? So uh, we wanted to bring Chris on a little bit just to talk about a little bit about the different options and some advantages and disadvantages of each, because um, there really isn't a, a cut and dried answer. We can't say, 
you're a nice angler. This is what you need to go buy. It, it's not that easy. There's there's budgets in mind. There's depending on how you fish, where you fish, how often you fish. All those things uh, you have to decide as an angler to figure out what electronics work best for you. But we want to get you that information so that you can make that educated decision to get the right electronics for your fishing style. How you doing, Chris? Good to have you on Shack Talk. I'm doing great. Ice is forming. It's almost time. It is forming. Uh, and there's been a lot of people that have been out hitting the ice and, and getting their stuff out. And hopefully they charged all their batteries. You know, since we're talking electronics, they kept their batteries charged so that that first outing, their battery didn't die right away because they didn't have it set up right. And But, you know, so there's three or four main types of electronics, actually five, you know, if you want to consider your cell phone, your cell phone now is a type of electronics that you can use for ice fishing because you can get mapping on it and you can use that mapping, uh, whether it's an avionics map or or whatever, you know. Or, or calling your buddy who's on the hot bike and, uh, <laughs> you know, running over to where he's yeah. fishing. That's uh, that's part of the game too, isn't it? It is, you know, and it's, it's yeah, amazing. If, 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 if your buddy's willing to let you know where he is. Yep. <laughs> It depends on how good a buddy he is. So, uh, yeah. you know, electronics, it's advancing so fast. A lot of things, but a lot of things are still the way that they used to be. There's some, let's take flashers, for example. They've been around for a long time. Many people consider a flasher the best option if you're going to be going out ice fishing for most styles of ice anglers. Um Let's chat a little bit about flashers, and they haven't changed a lot over the years. There's more features to them now, but they're still built basically the way they were uh, 20 years ago. Um, why uh, why would people maybe want to have a flasher compared to a, a sonar, you know, like an LCD unit? Um, one one main reason, they're a little more affordable because, you know, you're starting usually at the flasher end, and then they go up from there. But they're very handy for running and gunning and filling holes and checking your depths right away you can get on your spots quicker it's just very convenient yeah yep yep and that's that's i think you kind of nailed it on the head between convenience and affordability um you know i think you can go out and get a an fl8 at a pretty reasonable price you know then then there's different options from there uh you know where you can add different things but um they are so lightweight being able to move around it allows you to be mobile uh, they don't take up a lot of space they're easy to set up easy to run um there's just a, easy to read too as well and and the battery life i find unless you do the big upgrade their batteries that come in them will last a day and a half two days because they're not using a bunch of just filling a big screen yep yep and and that's true especially for you know if you're going out somewhere on a on a remote trip let's say you're going to a sleeper house fish house on a big lake or something you know that's huge because you might not really have much of electricity for a couple of days and I would even say just the opposite too. Uh, you know, you've got your one extreme where you're in that uh, where you're in that permanent house, your sleeper house. But on the other extreme, what if you're out, you know, in the middle of uh, one of those Canadian lakes or, or a big lake here in the states, and uh, and you're out in that extreme cold? It's 22 below zero, you know, and and you're fishing outside. I think that flasher is pretty. Uh, if you will, bulletproof when it comes to use in the ice in so many different conditions. Yep. Oh yeah, they're, they're, for for your amateur angler who just wants to get into ice fishing, I would say to start with a flasher 
And then if you have friends that have, you know, the sonars and the screens, you could always, you know, check out there, see what there does. But I even know guys that have the, the you know, the Lawrence or the Hummingbird, and they still go to the flasher mode on them. Yep. Because they just like that old school flasher technology. It's pretty basic and simple. You know, and that, that's uh, honestly a good, you know, we get a lot of beginning ice anglers that ask us about equipment, and they want to know what's, what do I need to buy? I need to buy an auger. I need to buy a house. And, you know, the first thing, if you're a beginning angler and you can only afford one of those big three pieces, whether it's a electronics, an auger, or a house, get the flasher first because uh, you go out with buddies, you can use their auger. You go out with buddies, you can use their house. You go out with buddies, they're not going to let you use their flasher because a flasher <laughs> is a one-person tool. Um, that's the one thing that you're going to need every time you go out is to have some type of electronics. And if you're, for most people, the flasher is the first thing that they get, you know, and then from there they might upgrade to a camera or, or to an LCD unit or, you know, the live view units that are out now. But flasher is really, you know, that's the base of the entire ice fishing electronics industry. And you got to start there. Oh yeah. And it, and they're so easy to, to dial in. If you got two knobs, usually maybe three on some of the new ones now, you just find, figure out your gain, your depth. And they're, they're so simple. Once you, you know, spend what, maybe an hour or two with it on the ice, you'll have it figured out. Yep. Yep. You know, and another question I get from beginning anglers, uh, quite often too, is, I'm looking at a camera, an underwater camera, and I'm looking at a flasher, and I'm not really sure which one to get. You know, those cameras are really cool. And my answer always is, for me and for the way I fish and the way I think most people fish, that the flasher is should be their first investment. From there, you can get a camera, and it's cool, but it's not going to, I mean, if you're trying to move around on the lake, the camera just isn't. It's not, it, it won't do everything that a flasher will do. Oh, not at all. And then they take, I find they take a little bit more time to set up as well. Yep. You got to get, the, you know, it depends on which camera you got. They've got so many brands now, but just setting them up, getting them sighted in so they're not, you know, they're covering your, your water column or the area you're trying to cover. It takes some fine tuning to get that camera set up just right. So it's showing you what you want to see. Yep. And, and cameras are great because you actually see that fish and the, the, the expression, if you will, the body language of that fish and how they react to your bait. But if you're fishing in dirty water, you're fishing in stained water, you're fishing at night, it, it takes that element away. Whereas a flasher, you're going you're gonna to have that reading on a flasher regardless of the conditions, regardless of the type of water, and regardless of the time of day that you're out. So true. Very true. So... Uh, you know, from there, an, another option, which is, it's been around for a while, and I think the reason why a lot of people do it is because they have these units in their boat, and they and they want to try and make them a dual-purpose unit. You know, your standard LCD-type screen that we have in our boats. And another advantage of that is you can generally get some mapping along with it. Um, but what are some other reasons why somebody may want to take that unit out of their boat or purchase a unit made for the ice that is that style, that's not the flasher style? Well, it's, they're really nice, especially in a wheelhouse or in, even a, a pop-up shack. You get a little, I don't know how to say it. I, it's very good for kids and stuff too because it'll keep them occupied because they can kind of see the bait or they can see the fish or they can see their jig. 
and then they can see the fish coming to swim in, look at the bait, or you can see it come in and take off. You know, it's it's a little more visibility. You know, you're doing the same thing, but you got a little more to see, a little more to look at it. Yep. And you can also see um, schools of bait fish too, where on a flasher you may see a blip or something, but you're not going to see that actual school of bait fish kind of moving in or moving through. Yep. It, it gives you that history where you can see a little bit more and you don't have to be staring at it. You know, the serious guys were always staring at, at that flasher and, and, uh, this will give other people, like you said, if you got, if you got other people in your fish house in a permanent house, um, that, they can see that history and they can kind of see what's going on. And in a way it's almost a cross between a, between a flasher and a camera to, you know, to some degree, but they're not quite as convenient. It seems like. Oh, that's so, no, they're bulkier and the batteries I find, unless you spend the money and do the upgrade to like lithium or something, they don't, you don't get that full day out of them, especially when you get into the later in the season, when you got the longer days, you'll end up around four o'clock and you're, you're out of juice. Yep. And, and like you said, that's why it's a great option for the wheelhouse guys, because they probably have a uh, marine battery at, you know, in their house, which, which it's not, it gets rid of that, uh, that bad side effect of those. How about, uh, let, let, we only got a couple minutes left here. Let's talk a little bit about some of the new stuff. I know, I know you're big, uh, big advocate of the, uh, panoptic systems that have come out now recently. Oh yeah, I've uh, since they came up with the first one about two years ago. It's it's unbelievable technology when it came out then, and now it's just getting more and more insane. It's it it's kind of mind blowing. But they are a heavier, bulkier unit, to, and they do take a bit of time to set up. They're they're really good for a wheelhouse, and they're good for if you're going to set up in a spot for four or five hours. They're not the the greatest for running and gunning because. They're bulky. They're heavy. You got to put them together, take them apart because you got the the handle and the scope and the transducer. But when you're learning a new lake or trying to find schools of fish or bait fish, they're 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 phenomenal for that because you can cover so much water in so little time because you can pan that hundred foot area or fifty foot area and see where the fish are suspended or laying or where the bait's laying and then you can you know move accordingly over closer to there and get on top of them and do it again and then oh there they go there's a big school right here and now you set it up change the angle you're trying to use it for down because when you're when you're looking for fish you're scanning outwards and then when you're on the fish you want to kind of have it on the down and you can see what's going on underneath the ice instead of out from you right but they're, they're unbelievable for learning a new lake finding structure finding bait and finding fish Chris, you know, one of my things that I think is important to uh, to point out here in terms of our, our listeners listening, we talked about the flashers, we talked about the LCD sonar, we're talking about these live view, the panoptics type units, and they're not especially uh, specifically things that it's one or the other. Um, I, I look, for instance, you know, I've talked to a lot of guys, gals who are out there fishing and, and each angler has their own flasher. They each have their own Vexilar. And then as a group, you know, maybe a family or a couple of buddies, they have a, a pan optics unit and one person takes turns and they kind of are, are the quarterback. They're directing traffic. They're saying, you know, go over here 30 feet and, and drop your lure down there. Cause that's where the fish are right now. And that individual can then go over put their flasher down the hole and start fishing and and you've got kind of a team effect where everybody's working together to find and locate and catch those fish 
Oh yeah, that's very true. It, I've seen it on numerous occasions with the panoptics where you'll you'll drill one hole and then you'll drill another hole, you know, in twenty foot increments away from your your uh, panoptics, and then you can scout around, see, okay, there's, so you got a hole in every twenty foot mark, and then you go, okay, go two holes over, so now you're forty feet away, and there's fish there. And I've watched them where I'm sitting at the unit, and I've watched the person drop their bait and catch the fish from forty feet away. It, it's honestly. It's mind-blowing sometimes. You know, that's really cool. I, I think the bottom line is there are a lot of different options out there, and no matter what level you're at as an ice angler, um, think about looking at the next level up or adding to what you currently have uh, and maybe playing around. Talk to some of your buddies, and maybe you can get, get in together on one, one of these other, you know, the, the live view models and and all work together to help pay for that and you know there there's just so many different options out there and just open keep your mind open to some of the things that are available you know guys yeah. um I, I don't know about you but when i first started ice fishing as as a young adult um you know this is this is um when i wasn't fishing with family with grandpas or uncles or whatnot but as as a young adult i'm really kind of looking at my own stuff um all i could afford was that Vexilar FL8, mm-hmm. you know, the basic unit, great unit, but, uh, but not a lot of the, the bells and whistles. It's a great starting point. So then what do you do? You use that for a few years and now, now I, I think I want to upgrade. So especially with flashers, they're kind of timeless. You have the ability to uh, say, I'm going to put this out on a, on a, a buy and sell, or I'm going to put this out on a, a, a swap and shop on a local club or whatever it might be an upgrade there's always someone looking for an entry level unit there's always the opportunity to upgrade to add to your arsenal i think that's a great point scott to say that uh you know the ability to move up and down to add to to build onto your arsenal of electronics is always there all right uh so yeah we're, we're gonna finish up here we really appreciate this chris we have chris gone he is a uh He's a professional guide and tournament angler up in Canada, and he's he's calling in today from the Canadian bush, so it's uh, good that he can take some time out of his busy schedule and uh, take some time to talk with us and to talk to you guys and to all of our listeners, and hopefully uh, we can get the information out there so that when you do go out and you start looking at different electronics, you might have, some, have a good idea as to what you're looking for. Thank you very much, Chris, for coming on Shack Talk. We really, really appreciate it appreciate it well thanks for having me boys can't wait to see you over here in uh march we will be up there and we'll be up there before march too so we'll be giving oh, you a call so perfect i'll have the house ready for you boys all right man you have uh have yourself a great uh, month or two before we get up there all right uh listeners thanks for listening in to segment two we will be back with segment three our location and destination segment shortly For the past half decade, ION has been the best-selling and highest-rated electric auger on the ice. It was also the first high-performance ice auger powered by lithium-ion technology. No other electric ice auger shreds faster, cuts smoother, or drills through more ice on a single charge. Whether re-drilling old frozen holes in your shack or running and gunning across the lake, ION is the perfect auger for you. Trust the proven performance of ION and make the switch to electric this ice fishing season. Visit us at ioniceaugers.com. Welcome back to the third and final segment of today's Shack Talk. 
Uh, thanks, folks, for sticking around. I, I am excited for this segment as we look at our location and destination. We want to welcome uh, a special guest here today, Walleye Will Pappenfuss. He is a, a fish addictions pro staffer, an Eskimo pro staffer. He is a, a native of northern Minnesota and uh, very familiar with the destination we want to visit about today. We're going to talk about Upper Red Lake in, in northern Minnesota. Will, welcome to Shack Talk. Thanks. Happy to be here. It's good to have you. Uh, we are... We are uh, avid followers of you on social media and, and of course, have had the opportunity to, uh, to meet and visit a, a couple of times in person. Let's just, uh, let's just start out with some basics. Let's talk a little bit about you and, and kind of your experience with Upper Red Lake and, uh, and, and maybe just ice fishing in general, Will. So what, uh, what brings you to this point um, of, of, you know, kind of who you are in your career as an angler? Um. I mean, I I came up to uh, Bemidji when I was just out of high school and been at Bemidji State for the last four and a half years, and I've had the chance to fish a lot of lakes, not just around Bemidji, but all over, and especially Red Lake in particular, because a couple of my buddies, they have cabins actually on the lake, so whenever we had word that there was enough ice to walk on, we just go up and stay at their cabin and get to go walk out from the cabin and fish anytime we wanted. So we kind of had just access to wherever and whatever side of the lake we could go to, we got out. So That's fantastic. And uh, as many listeners know, uh, Upper Red Lake is a very popular early ice destination. And uh, kind of doing a little of my homework, I, I was intrigued to find out that, you know, we've got Upper Red Lake, we've got Lower Red Lake. And and in total, we're looking at just under 289000 thousand acres of water it's a massive lake largest inland body of water in the state of minnesota but when we talk about fishing we have to realize that all of lower red lake and 60 percent of upper red lake is within the red lake indian reservation so uh, native americans uh, that reservation um, and that's not open to public fishing and so we're, we have the Basically, about 48,000 acres that's uh, under the jurisdiction of the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources where anglers can fish. And, you know, I mean, that's a huge body of water, but 48,000, the portion we can fish, that's still a large portion of water. And uh, give us your your kind of feel for what it's like as you head up on on a piece of water, a piece of ice that's that massive. I mean, it can be intimidating, you know, especially at a lake like that because there's, it's it's basically a bowl. You know, you have a couple little rock piles or little humps that maybe change within one to three feet or something like that. But it's kind of just a get out there and get away from people as far as you can, you know, to be safe. But still, you just want to get away from the noise and the crowds and find kind of your own fish and once you figure that out and you keep doing it time after time, you kind of figure the lake out and it can pay off in a big way. So looking, looking at the lake, the maximum depth of 15 feet. So, you know, that kind of plays into why it freezes up early, why it's some of the first fishable ice in the area and, and, you know, really how it's conducive to early season fishing. So what, uh, you mentioned getting away from crowds, but what's kind of the, the depth range that you target as you're headed up there and, and you're out on the ice and, and looking for those early season walleye? Um, right away, I'm probably looking at 8 to 
10 feet right away because there is a pile of spot tail shiners that are in that lake and they really congregate right at the first break early season and that's where most of the fish are going to be because you have piles of bait fish you're going to have piles of walleyes there with them so you really don't have to walk too far out especially on the south side kind of where jr's corner and rogers campground everybody there's two of the most popular resorts there because you don't have to walk very far out to get deep and and you talk about the first break so you're targeting that eight to ten foot range is it is it a significant break are we coming off of four or five feet or is it is it a more of a a smaller subtle break yeah it's more of a gradual break there's some spots that are a little tighter that most people there'll probably be more people fishing those but, I mean, there may be more fish there. There may not. A lot of times if you get more people conjugated in one spot, they're just going to push the fish away anyway. So you just kind of have to hop around and keep drilling holes and keep staying mobile and figure it out. You know, and, and Upper Red Lake is really in what what is called by a lot of the locals the Big Bog. It's a, it's a huge area of peat. So uh, a peat bog. A lot of uh, a lot of tannins. I'm I'm assuming that the water on Upper Red Lake is stained. Is is that accurate or is or is it clear? Um, it is a little stained, but just early season, it's usually it it's dirty because the wind is. It's, I haven't had it where it's been somewhat clear in the last couple of years because it's been like ten to twenty mile an hour winds right before it freezes up, and it's usually the first two two and a half weeks. It's you can barely see your jig when you drop it in your hole, like maybe six inches of clarity, maybe sometimes. So a lot of times the best thing to do is wait like two weeks or so after it freezes up and you get a little bit more water clarity and you'll draw fish in from farther away because you're not going to catch a fish unless that fish is right underneath your hole because they won't be able to see your baits. So I'm guessing that most of the time you want to use some type of a search lure, something that's going to either be loud, make noise, put off a lot of vibration, maybe uh, color or light or something like that because you're trying to draw these fish in from this big area. Yeah, so my favorite is uh, a number four UV pink rip and wrap. That's been my best bait that I've used up there and I've gone through quite a few of them. And so, I've had to put new hooks on a couple of them and they just tear them apart. So that, and, and that lure, the reason why that lure would work well for people that are trying to figure out what lures to use is that's going to give you vibration, that's going to give you the flash, and that's going to give you the sound. You know, it's it's going to give you all of those things to, to try and draw those fish in. Mm-hmm, exactly. So, Will, as you look at that, as you look at those types of uh, baits that are going to create that noise and that attraction, do you tip those? Do you also... Um, team that up with maybe a bobber rod uh, nearby, or or how do you fish that? Yeah, so I don't, for rip wraps, I never tip them with bait just because it doesn't give them as good of an action. But I will have like a bobber rod or a tip up nearby just because sometimes you'll go up there, especially if it's like a cold front, you'll be jigging and they'll come in and they'll stare at you and they won't eat, and all of a sudden they'll hit your bobber rod instantly. So it's always good to for sure have a dead stick rod somewhere close near you and a jigging rod. That's a great one-two combination. You call them in, you get them in. If they're being finicky, you give them the option to have that finesse bait right next to it so they can kind of take, you know, take their choice. You give them the, the, 
the buffet table and they'll they'll pull up and and eat what they're hungry for and what they prefer. So a uh, great great technique. So Upper Red Lake has if you think back and and historically that has quite a quite a history. Mid to late 90s, uh the walleye population up there in Upper Red Lake crashed. And and they actually closed walleye fishing for a 7-year time frame. It's a, it's amazing that uh there were no walleyes uh, allowed to be fished or, or harvested for seven years, and you talk about a success story because you look at it now and it is a uh, it's a f- not just an early ice destination uh, because of the ice forming early in the season, but it's an early ice destination because of the fact that it's a great fishery. And yeah. a- a- as you go up there and you look, what uh, what can people expect in terms of? Um, you know, where they buy a license, they go on up there to fish. What's what's their limit? What's the slot? What's the uh, kind of the regulations around that water? Yeah, there's the limit right now. You can have four fish, which is pretty generous, and only one of them can be over 17 inches. But I mean, fishing up there, it's you can have over 100 fish days sometimes because they're just so aggressive. There are so many of them that you just keep picking through them, and you know you don't want to keep four fishing and be done right away. You just want to keep on fishing. So what's the what what's the size mix with those? If you're going to catch a hundred fish, you know you go out and and have one of those days. It's a great day. Are there going yeah. to be a lot of thirteen inchers or a lot of a lot of them right at that maximum of the slot? Or are there going to be very many overs? Is there a chance that you're going to get a, a nice nice fish? Um, I would say the average that I've had out there would probably be 16 and a half inches for an average fish. But I'd say on top end, you might catch like a 22 or sometimes even a 24 incher. Okay. The biggest that we've ever got was, I think, 26 and a half one night. But other than that, you you do have a chance at a 22 to 24 incher for sure. So is <laughs> is there anything besides walleyes that you can expect to catch i mean i think all the bigger crappies are gone i don't know if there's any smaller Uh, ones they're they're coming back actually oh really every year after year i i've seen stories of people catching you know 30 to 40 to 50 crappies in a day just getting on one school that'll randomly come in and years ago i actually got the tail end of it i would think i was in like third grade or something and i have pictures (laughs) from dad taking me up there and it was just absolutely insane how big these fish were but a couple of years ago they were almost completely non-existent but every year they've kept coming back and back and i think you're going to see a lot more big crappies starting to come out here in the next year or two it's interesting because for our listeners who may not uh, also be aware of that history when that walleye population crashed when those walleye uh, were not present in the lake that presented an opportunity and naturally these crappie filled in that biomass gap and they they uh they repopulated the lake and there were i mean massive massive schools of crappie and big crappie it was nothing to go up there and and you know get a limit of of cookie cutter 12 inch crappie and and a 14 15 16 incher was not you wouldn't get it every trip but it was not uncommon and you'd hear that happen time and time again and um and now slowly as the walleye have come back and and they've taken more of the um the biomass or the space in the lake um the crappies kind of faded off and and as you said they're they're 
coming back and finding their balance, which is really encouraging because catching big crappies through the ice is uh, is one of my favorite things to do, and I know a lot of folks uh, just love doing that. Yeah, exactly. It's it's just crazy, just the amount of stories, and it's from all over the lake too. It's not just like in one spot. It's coming from everywhere around the lake, from up by Beacon Harbor on the north side. You have Hillman's on the east side. You know, JR's on the south side, Rogers. I mean, they're coming from all over, so it's not like they're just in one area. They're they're thick in there, and they're going to be they're going to keep going. Will, as we look at uh, folks considering Upper Red Lake as a destination in in early ice season, or really any time during the ice season, what uh, what is your recommendation as far as how to find out? Number one, what are the ice conditions? So, getting a good ice report, but number two, um, you mentioned a few places there, but how would folks go about finding? lodging finding accommodations up in that area because quite honestly um it's not a heavily populated part of the state it's north of bemidji it's south of baudette and it's kind of in that no man's land in between and and as i said before in that big bog area and there's just not a lot of uh uh, infrastructure so what are are your recommendations as far as that um i mean i would just you know just go on google or whatever and just search red lake and you'll have lots of different resorts and outfitters and stuff pop up because there are there's new ones that pop up every year and it's just crazy that that lake is just keeps putting these numbers out <laughs> for the amount of resorts and stuff but if i was going up there i would call you know either gr's corner or rogers or Westwind, and they're usually pretty pretty nice people and they'll tell you you know what they have open and or they'll recommend somebody else if they're full and Everybody up there is pretty nice and laid back, so it's it's real. It's a real good atmosphere to go up there and fish and stay and bring the family and catch a few fish and maybe go back to the bar and have a drink or get some food and just have a have a good old fashioned time, you know. That uh, that sounds like a great great atmosphere and uh, knowing that they cater to anglers and and giving us anglers a uh, a good experience is uh that's certainly encouraging and and that's obviously how they they make a living up there doing that as well so uh will any any other kind of final uh, tips thoughts suggestions on upper ed for those folks who might be heading up there even yet this year um i would bring uh a variety of baits because i mean it changes constantly but as long as you have something red or pink in your tackle box you should be good that's great, great information. That's a great tip. I'm I'm a fan of pink too, and uh, and red. I guess is not too far off on the spectrum. So uh, that's a that's a good idea to include that as well. Hey, well, I got a quick question for you before uh, before we finish up here, and I'm not sure if you actually know the answer to this or not. But what is the main forage in Red Lake? What what are all these fish eating? Are are, are they eating? Fathead minnows? Or are they eating? You know? uh, spot, I believe it's spot tail shiners. Okay. You mark you mark clouds of them when you're fishing shallow early ice because they're just so concentrated. I mean, right along the shoreline, anywhere from five to ten feet, they're just. I mean, you can't go in a hole without marking a pile of bait fish that come through. And there's a lot of different bait shops that do get their bottle shiners for opener and stuff from Red Lake itself. 
That is encouraging. Encouraging to know that there's plenty of forage base there for those fish to continue to grow and uh, and, and be in a, in a healthy population state. So that is uh, fantastic. Will, um, I know that Scott and I follow you on social media, but for those listeners who may not uh, be aware of you, how can uh, how can folks watch some of your adventures and uh, uh, keep up to date with where you're at and what you're doing? Um, they can add me on Facebook, um, Will Papentuse, or follow my page, Will Papentuse fishing otherwise you can follow us at fish addictions tv on fox sports north and season four is kicking off here the first weekend in january otherwise we have a bunch of videos from previous seasons on youtube but other than that that's about that's about it on me (laughs) well we really appreciate you taking some time today to talk with us and uh, fill us in a little bit of with a little bit of your expertise and experience on upper red lake so thank you very much yeah thanks for having me Folks, thanks for sticking around. It's been a great, great uh, conversation here as we've been talking ice fishing uh, at the Shack Talk podcast. We want to thank Eskimo Ice Fishing Gear. Get Eskimo.com for their support of Shack Talk. Follow them on Facebook, Instagram, and as I said, GetEskimo.com. We love hearing from our listeners. Thank you to all of you who have sent in messages, personal messages, uh, Facebook messages. Uh, We appreciate that very much. We love the input. We love the positive feedback. We love the suggestions. Uh, Don't hesitate to, to continue and keep that up. Uh, follow us at BrewerAgreeOutdoors.com, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Until next time, be safe, get out there and go fishing.